you please take your Bibles again? Let's go back over to Revelation chapter 18 this morning. Revelation chapter 18, passage we read in, in its completion just a few moments ago. And now I'd just like to read again verses 4 through 8 of Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, verses 4 through 8. As we read, notice that this passage, as you can see on the slide, Revelation 18 speaks of God's vengeance, that God is the judge, that God will take his revenge on rebellion. Revelation chapter 18, beginning with verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her, even as she rewarded you. Double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double how much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously or sensuously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Shall we pray together? Be glorified this day, Lord, by the preaching and proclamation of your word. I ask that you would move this messenger out of the way and that you would help all of us to concentrate on the very words of God and what you most assuredly promise us in this passage. Father, be glorified. Glorify the Lord Jesus and by the power of your spirit work in us today as your people pray. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the last message, Revelation chapter 17, which is available online, those of you watching online today, the manuscript for this morning's message and last Sunday is on, online. You can see it there on the sermons page. We looked at the connection between Revelation 17 and Revelation 18. We noticed in the very last verse of Revelation chapter 17 that when it speaks of this woman, this adulterous woman, Babylon the Great, the great prostitute or the great harlot in terms of spiritual idolatry, that it says about that woman that this is the great city. Now when you compare Revelation 17 and 18 side by side, you come to the conclusion that Revelation 17 is about a religious system, a religious Babylonian system, we could say. Whereas Revelation 18 that we're in today is about a rebellious city. You put those two together, a religious system and a rebellious city, and you can see how the Lord is at work and what he's going to do. Now we're told in scripture that this woman, this great harlot, this great prostitute, Babylon the Great, has actually been riding upon the beast across the centuries. And it tells you about this beast having these heads and these horns. It tells you about this beast. And one of the conclusions that we came to was that as John was writing, he said five of those heads, and those heads represent kingdoms and kings of the past, five of those have already passed away. 
And so as John is writing, it is very likely that he's looking at Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and the Medo-Persians and Greece. John is writing during the time of the kingdom of Rome. And so when you look back across those kingdoms and recognize that this adulterous woman Babylon is riding all of those kingdoms, that's when you begin to realize this Babylonian system of religion, we believe, begun at the Tower of Babel by Nimrod, that she has been riding this all these years. This system is no has-been She is very much alive and at work today in the religious systems of this world. So when you stop to think about what you're seeing here, it is very helpful to go back and think through what has happened in the past. The entire Daniel series, which is online for you as well that we've done. And now the Revelation series. What you see is that across the years, scholars such as Augustine have said, we're actually talking about two cities, two very major cities. One of those cities is the city that you and I would describe as the city of God, and the other city is the city of the world. This woman is riding upon the city of this world. She says, I sit as a queen. I, I, I will see no sorrow. The Babylonian system says that. But when you stop to look at these two cities, that's when you begin to recognize, wait a minute, stop, stop the message. We ought to go back and take a look at this. That when you get later into Revelation, it speaks of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is going to come down out of heaven. In fact, when you look at these last chapters here in Revelation that we're coming up on really rapidly, I can't believe how fast the Revelation series has gone by you really see that our depiction of heaven is really the depiction of the new Jerusalem. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. When we talk about heaven, that's what we're really talking about. So you have these citizens who are citizens of the new Jerusalem, and then you have the citizens of the city of this world. Well, the ultimate expression of the city of God is that new Jerusalem. I believe that the ultimate expression of the city of this world is exactly what you have here in Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18 is the ultimate embodiment, let's call it that way, of this world system. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that which is earthly, sensual, devilish, it is all embodied here in Revelation chapter 18. So by pointing out that there are two cities, it brings every one of us in this room and everybody listening to this message online, it brings every one of us to this understanding. You're going to have to make a choice. You have a decision to make. Choose you this day whom you will serve, in the words of Joshua, as he was speaking to the children of Israel. Because you see, this Babylonian system, this wicked system, goes all the way back even into Egypt. Even when the children of Israel came out, when Moses was up on the mount, what did Aaron try to do? He tried to take, a, he tried to take a, an ox, a, a picture of an ox, and plate it with gold and said, these, these are your gods. He was actually worshiping the Egyptian god Apis, A-P-I-S, out of Egypt. This wicked religious system has been with us all along, but here's what it comes down to. It comes down to this. Are you going to be someone who is faithful and placing his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Lord God who sent the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Are you going to place your faith in him or in the gross folly of this world? You can see in today's message that if you choose the folly of this world, recognize that God will avenge. Those such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it tells you in Hebrews chapter 11, they looked for a city. They looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's what they were longing for. Whereas the Babylonian queen says, I... I am a queen, and I am no widow, and I will never see sorrow. You and I have a decision to make today, and that is about our citizenship. The way the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is your citizenship in heaven. If your citizenship is in heaven, if you are a member of the faithful who will be in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem described later here in Revelation and also over in Hebrews chapter 12, if that's you, then you have some choices to make according to this passage, decisions that you and I ought to make. Let's get into the text here. When you begin to see what's happening here, you go back to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 10, here's what you find out you find out that one of the plagues that was hurled down upon the earth was specifically a plague on the capital seat of the Antichrist. Now, as I pointed out here in the footnotes and I brought out in various ways, there's a pretty strong argument that this is going to be a literal city. John MacArthur and others, as you can see in the footnotes, really compare Scripture with Scripture and argue strongly that this is going to be a massive city on the Euphrates in the general vicinity where the Tower of Babel was, where Babylon was, in that area, a very strong city, a massive city built very, very quickly. When you see, for instance, today how quickly some of the cities have been built in China, where they are rapidly, rapidly throwing up apartment complexes and condos, many of which are completely unoccupied because they're planning for their population to grow, you can see just how quickly a city like that could be put together, especially if the Antichrist is the world ruler. Well, it tells you in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 10 that one of the plagues that will come from heaven will place that capital seat of the Antichrist in deep darkness and that men will gnaw their tongues for pain. There's something here that just, it's torturous when you begin to think about it. You you might ask the question, well, why would God do that? Why would God do that to people? And friends, you and I ought to think about the answer. There is something far worse than physical darkness and gnawing one's tongue in pain. What is that? It is the ultimate spiritual darkness of the lake of fire and eternity burning in hell without Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate. All of these are little indications that ought to cause every single person to awaken to righteousness and sin not. We all ought to come to the place where we recognize, here's what's happening. Look at those first two verses there then in Revelation chapter 18, and just try to picture this in your mind's eye that here there is deep darkness. Now read Revelation 18 verses 1 and 2. After these things, that's the standard reminder by John that these these visions are in chronological order. 
After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was enlightened with his glory. Just try to picture that in your mind. Here is the capital seat of the Antichrist. It's in deep darkness. And into that deep darkness comes this mighty angel in all his brightness and all his glory. Can you see how that would get attention from everyone? And everyone then will be listening to his message. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That angel was there coming to the capital city, the capital place of the Antichrist. And what was that angel in essence saying? Here's what that angel was saying choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, there will be people there who will already be doomed, as we have seen in previous messages, because they have taken the mark of the beast. And the scripture is very plain about that. Go back just to the first few verses in Revelation chapter 17, and you can see that. They are already doomed. They have already declared their allegiance to the devil and to his antichrist. They're doomed. You're also going to see that there will be many people who will not take that mark and who will steadfastly proclaim, no, I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He is my Lord, and for that, they will be martyred. The angel here is then speaking not only to the faithful, but he's also speaking to those who are undecided and who have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as Lord. But you see in this passage that Babylon will be reduced to the spooky haunt of demons and of buzzards. In other words, it's speaking here of complete devastation. Now, as I said a few moments ago, some take this Babylon to be just symbolic of something. Symbolic, for instance, of this wicked world system. That's the way they would say it. Others would argue, well, it's symbolic of perhaps Rome and Jerusalem. And there are some who would say, I actually think it's talking about Rome. I I think it's speaking of Rome. And some would even say, I think it's talking about Jerusalem because we know that the Antichrist is going to exalt himself in Jerusalem. But as I say, MacArthur and others have really done a wonderful work there. If you'd look down in the footnotes of the manuscript you have this morning and take the time later this week to go through and compare scripture with scripture, you really realize there is a pretty strong case for saying this is an actual city. This raises the question of this physical city, if it's a physical city on the Euphrates, how is it that this will be judged? Revelation chapter 17, you had a religious system here in Revelation 18, a rebellious city. Why will it be judged? What, what is it that it has done? And you begin to work through this as we talked about a few moments ago, and here's what you recognize. That Revelation chapter 18 is the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate embodiment of this world system. That which is earthly, sensual, and devious, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All of this wickedness, it's all brought out here. In Galatians chapter 5, when it speaks of the works of the flesh, it gives you this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. It sounds almost like today's papers, doesn't it? It sounds like exactly what you're seeing today in the news articles. You see, in all its humanistic and yet demonic glory, this is going to be the ultimate embodiment 
of all this wicked world system going all the way back to the beginning. There is a sense in which the city of God, the New Jerusalem, is the city of the faith of Abel. There's a sense in which the city of this world, Babylon, is the city of cursed Cain. You and I can go back and study the lines of the faithful. You can see faithful Abraham. You can see how Nimrod built the original Tower of Babel. You can begin to see that contrast. And again, what it does for every one of us this day, this very moment, it brings us to the point of this decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's the challenge that we see in this passage. Choose you this day whom you will serve. It tells us in this passage that this Babylon, Babylonian city is going to give people what they really want. It's going to give them the lust of their heart. The kings of the earth will grow tipsy. They will grow tipsy with drunkenness in the spiritual immorality that is here, the idolatry that's here, because this city will just be the ultimate expression of all that is sensuous, all that appeals to the senses. The Bible tells you in verse 7 that this Babylonian city will glorify herself. She will live sensuously. She will sit as a queen who says, I'll never be widowed. I will never know sorrow. And if you want to see a really dense description of materialism, a dense description, take a look down at verses 12 through 14 and look at the writhing covetousness here of Babylon. Just look at the list. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and thyme wood. They're speaking of scented wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and vessels of more precious wood and brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, beast, sheep, horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men and the fruits that she lusted after. Think about all that is there and think about the materialism of this world and ask, what is it that people want? What is it that they are grasping after? All of it, all of it would be found in this Babylon, which will be built. This verse tells you in verses 23 through 24, that is, it points out that led by the Antichrist, Babylon's merchants will be the great men of the earth. As I pointed out in the scripture reading a few moments ago, in verses 9 through 19, you have a very similar passage where the kings of the earth mournfully lament the destruction of Babylon. And then not only do the kings of the earth lament, then the merchants who enriched themselves, who became fabulously wealthy, they lament it. And then the mariners, those sailors at sea, they lament when they see the destruction of this ultimate Babylon. But here's the real difficulty. The worst of this city, the very worst of this city of this world, is that it's responsible for the bloody death of prophets and saints and other members of the human race, as you can see in the last verse. So, Don't get the idea that this is just a a neutral city where people can enjoy their materialism. Oh, no, 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 no. This city is determined to destroy anything that has to do with Jesus Christ. The kings of the earth have set themselves, as it says in Psalm chapter 2. So this passage tells you in verse 5, Revelation 18 verse 5, expresses it this way, her sins have reached unto heaven. 
You can see in this passage in verse 18 and also that you see it down later in the passage, it describes what will this destruction be like? It will be the burning of this massive city. Now, by the way, here, what it seems to be describing is this very large, massive city, perhaps even dwarfing any city presently on the earth, and it will be burned with fire. How will that take place? I do not know the answer, but I can tell you that you can go back and look at Sodom and Gomorrah and the way they were destroyed. You can look even at the earthquakes of just these last few days to see what happened in Turkey and Syria. And you recognize God really is able to bring all this about. But in Revelation 18, what we're really looking at is this, that God will avenge his people. He will do this. You need to trust the fact that God will avenge his people. He will destroy this sinful world, sinful world system. So choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, who is it that is going to judge Babylon? We'll look at verse eight. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. When it speaks of death in this passage, we believe it's speaking of pestilence, some sort of a plague, a rapidly moving plague, probably like Marburg or Ebola or something like that, where it would just rapidly spread through a population. Pestilent death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. Now, why is that? Look at that last phrase here on the screen. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. If you today are loving your citizenship of this world, you are longing for the things listed there in those passages a moment ago. You think, I think it would be wonderful to have my own slave who would do my own bidding and I could be immoral as much as I wish. I could be like the kings of old who have as much immorality as they could possibly take and stomach. You recognize something, friend. The God who is strong will avenge her. The God who is strong is going to destroy her. You and I need to know today that this is what the Lord will do. Who will judge Babylon? Verse 5 says, God has remembered her iniquities. All the believers in heaven and earth across these years, according to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, even the ones in heaven today are praying this. Revelation 6 verse 10 How long, O Lord, holy and true, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? You may have wrestled with this. You may have wrestled with this question. When people sin against me, when they lie about me, when they say all kind of terrible things, when Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. It is not that you and I ought to take revenge. The Bible says, avenge not yourselves. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He is going to, in his good and right and just time, he is going to deal with and he is going to judge the abominations and the lies and everything that goes with it. You do not want to be the target of his vengeance. All the saints of all the ages, think about the momentum of their prayers. They're saying, how long, O Lord, how long, faithful and true, will you not judge, will you not avenge? And what you're seeing in Revelation chapter 18 is that he says the day has come. He will avenge. He will respond. 
And that's why it says in verses 4 and 5, Rejoice over her, over her, thou heaven, ye holy apostles. God has avenged her. I'm sorry, verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and holy apostles and prophets. God has avenged you on her. Now think about what this is doing to every one of us. It's bringing every person in this room and every person under the sound of my voice, it brings us to this central decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will. Do not put this decision off. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to love the city of this world with all its sensuality and everything it offers you? Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to be a true citizen of heaven. As we learn in 1 John, he that has this hope of the heavenly Jerusalem, he purifies himself. So think about the way this is going to happen and then ask this question. How will the inhabitants of the earth respond? This is verses 9 through 19 again. And the answer is they will mournfully lament. They, they will just be utterly devastated. Why? Because all their hopes, everything they set their heart on, they will think this is the ultimate expression. This is the ultimate city. We believe she will sit as a queen. She will never be widowed. We believe that she will go on and on and on. And the Bible says in a single day, and if you read carefully, in a single hour, she will ultimately be destroyed. So they will lament and mourn and weep. And what the mariners say is really down in verses 17 through 19 is typical. For in one hour, so great riches is come to nothing. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by the sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried with weeping and wailing saying, alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by the reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Those who chose the mammon of materialism, remember Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Those who chose the mammon of materialism will be stunned by the destruction of their chief idol, Babylon. All the objects of their lust and sensual greed will be destroyed by the God who avenges his own. For the rest of this message, we ought to get into the exhortations that are really here. And here's the question for those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, those who would say, I'm born again. I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my personal savior. I have been washed in the blood of the lamb. For those who have that understanding, what we ought to do is go back and ask, how did that happen exactly? How is it that those who are human beings, and the Bible tells you that we are image bearers of God, born as sinners, how is it that we are not of this world? Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he was raising this very question. In fact, what Jesus said about his own is that they are in the world, but not of the world. Today, if you're a Christian, today, if you're truly a believer, here's what he's saying to you. Yes, it is true that you are in this world, right? We're physically alive right now. We are here. We are in this world. But that doesn't mean that we are of this world. Jesus said, even as I am not of this world, 
There's your difference. There's your understanding. What it means to be a citizen of heaven, truly one of the Lord's own. The Lord says, they are in this world, but they are not of this world. How did this happen? If you take your Bibles and go over to Hebrews chapter 11, let me just show you a wonderful passage where if you're asking the question today, okay, okay, look, I believe as you work through this, I believe that really I'm a citizen of this world. I I think I love this world and all that is in it. How could I possibly be transferred from being a citizen of this world, the Babylonian system, how could I be translated, the Bible says, transferred into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians chapter one. How is that even possible? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, here's what it says. It says, these, speaking of the faithful, those who know the Lord, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. He's speaking there of the fact they hadn't received the fulfillment of the promises, But having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Back to that question a minute ago. How can you be in this world but not of this world? Hebrews chapter 11 would identify it this way. If you embrace the promises of God that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth to save you from your sins... If you cry out to the Lord as a sinner and say, I need the Savior, I need the Lord, and you pray, you ask him, Lord, would you save me? Here's what the Bible says. You're transformed. You are transferred from one kingdom to the other. You are no longer a citizen of this world, loving all that this world has to offer. Now you're a stranger and pilgrim in this earth. When I trusted Christ and during my sophomore year, about halfway through my sophomore year, the Lord gloriously saved me. I went back to my routines and I tried to go back into my old sins and my old lust. And it was as if a voice inside me said, we don't do that anymore. And I remember thinking, who's we? (laughs) What is this even about? And I began to read the scripture and realize that the Bible testifies that the spirit of God will bear witness in you. This is what happens. It says, they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might've had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Question for you, my friend, today is, is God ashamed to be called your God? Would God be ashamed to call you his, for you to call him your God? Would he be ashamed of that? Here's what it says here. Those who have been transformed and transferred They no longer are that way. God is not ashamed. In fact, Hebrews 2 tells you that Jesus will call you his brother. How did this happen? It's all by the glorious work of the gospel. You can see the chief promise of God is that Jesus Christ would live a perfect life that he would die as your substitute for your sins on the cross. He would be buried. He would rise bodily and gloriously again to prove to you that he had power over death and that you will be resurrected in the end. 
That's how the Lord changes you. That's how he saves you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 says, this is how you are saved. This is wherein you stand. It's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified for our sins and was buried and was raised again. It's all for you that the Lord has done this. And that's how you get transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. I believe the most powerful passage in this, and the one that I prayed for many of you in this congregation, if not all of you in this congregation this week, is this command and exhortation. And here it is. I heard another voice from heaven, I believe that's the voice of the Lord himself, saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. I believe this will be a clarion call for those who are alive upon the earth during the tribulation. But when you go back and think about what we talked about a few moments ago, that this immoral woman has ridden the beast, She is no has-been. Oh, no, she's very much alive today in this religious system. But all across the ages, as this adulterous woman has ridden the beast of the kingdoms of this world to all of those, he is also saying, come out of her, my people. He's saying exactly the same thing to you and me today. And I believe that we can apply that. I believe that you and I can look very carefully at this. Do you saturate yourself with social media? Are you advertising her immodesty, the immodesty of the Babylonian system? Do you, in your workplace, do you advertise her immodesty? Do you publicize her immorality? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. If you love the one, you will hate the other. John said in 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Think about these words for a moment. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You get it? Do you see what Jesus is saying when he says, you can't serve God and mammon. You will love one, hate the other, despise the one, hold to the other. John is saying the very same thing. If you love this world, you say, oh, I, I just love it. I love everything about it. This is, this is my world with all of its sins, all of its iniquities, all of its wickedness. This is what I love. The Bible is saying that the love of the Father is not in you. James put it very dramatically when he said, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity, that is hatred against God. Whoever therefore will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. There was an evangelist who was alive many decades ago who put it this way. He said, it is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. It is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. Your mind can fool you and you can deceive yourselves in so many ways. But really what this passage is saying is the very same thing that the angels said to Lot at Sodom. What did he say? Here's what he said. He said, get out. Get out. You say, Pastor, how do we do that? I mean, we are in this world. We're not of this world. How is it that we can remove ourselves from all of this? Well, here's a good test case. 
Go back through that dense description of covetousness that I described earlier in the passage and we read together and go through that list and, and ask yourself, do I live for these? Is this, is this what I live for? Is this my heart's desire? Do I desire the world's sensual pleasures and even long to have slaves who would do my bidding and, and every fantasy of my lust? Is that what I'm longing for? Am I living for my nerve endings or what is never ending? Do you long to fulfill your fantasies fueled by pornography and internet videos? Are you longing even now to get away from here, to get away from this message right now so that you can indulge your secret sins? Here's the way Paul said it to Timothy twice, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He said, flee youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, love, peace, with all who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's, that's what he's saying to all of us. It's the flee and follow principle. He doesn't merely say flee. He says, here's what you follow. Here's what you go after. It may be that someone here is thinking about this message, hearing this message, reading this message online, and here's what you're thinking. That's a really narrow-minded way to look at life. Immediately, when you start talking about coming out. People say, oh, it's legalistic. I would invite you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you today, or if you know someone who says to you, well, that's really narrow-minded, can I point out that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11, that is exactly what the apostle Paul said that you would say. He was faced with the very same thing. People said, oh, you're so narrow-minded. And here's what the apostle Paul said. He said, I want to remind you of something. I'm not the narrow-minded one. You are. And why were they narrow-minded? Here's why. Because they were ignoring the promises of God. They were saying, oh, forget all that. I mean, I want to do what I don't. Don't tell me I shouldn't do these things. And Paul said, here is what you are ignoring. You're ignoring the promises that are there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 and follow. Promises such as these. You are the temple of the living God. The Lord says, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. Think about the promises of God, the fellowship of God, what he offers you as the temple of God. He says, I'll be your father. You'll be my son. Think about the relationship with the Lord, the Lord God, as a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem. This is why in the very next verse, the next verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Here's what he says. Having therefore these promises. What promises? You are the temple of God. The Lord says, I will dwell in you. I, I will be a God to you. You will be my children. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That is, the outward sins, the inward sins. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, if you wrestle with this and you wonder, well, what does he really mean by that? Now go back and look at 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Here's what he says. He says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. How would you apply that? Believers ought to marry believers. Believers should not marry unbelievers. 
If you're contemplating getting into an agreement with someone about a business you're starting and things like that, you ought to look at that really, really carefully and ask, who's going to be in control of this? Who, who, how am I yoking myself together with those who are longing after all the lust of the city of Babylon? Many of you in this, in this room, I know because I've talked to you, many of you, you have faced career-changing decisions because you were unwilling to go after the lust of the city of Babylon, the lust of this world system. My friend, God will reward you. Most especially, he will reward you with those promises. Second Corinthians chapter 6, I will be your God. You will be my people. He will reward you. He will help you. He will guide you. I once heard a story about a man who owned a restaurant and he owned a cafeteria. And he was pressed and pressed and pressed. And people said, you've got to sell alcohol. You just got to sell. You're not going to make money if you don't sell alcohol. And, and other business around him were selling alcohol. And he finally realized, you know what? I, I probably need to just sell this place because everybody's kind of pushing for this very same thing. So he sold his hotel and restaurant for a very nice price. Somebody else came in immediately. They immediately began to serve alcohol and their profits really kicked up. And about five years later, that man who was the former owner was talking to the man who bought it. And the second man said, how did you know? How did you know about it? And the man said, know about what? What do you mean? What did I, well, how did I know? What are you even talking about? He said, how did you know that they were going to move the highway and that was no longer going to be the main route through the region? How did you even know that? And the man said, I didn't know that. The Lord had protected him by his convictions. I believe the Lord will do the very same thing for all of us. So what are we learning there secondly? Remember how you became a citizen of heaven, number one. Number two, come out from wickedness and materialism and unbelief. You can embrace the promises of God in this world. Yes, it will make you a stranger and pilgrim in this world. And people will think that you are very different from them and they will be right about that. But you can have salt in yourselves. You can be salt and light in your city and state. You could be used of the Lord. And thirdly and lastly, notice what it says in verse 20. Rejoice over, over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Here's the final challenge. Rejoice. With all the saints of all the ages, with the holy apostles, God has avenged her and will avenge her. It is just as certain as you are sitting here right now that God will take his revenge on this wicked world system. So it brings us to this question again. Choose you this day whom you will serve. What is your choice? Will you cry out to the Lord and ask him to save you? Or will you continue to live for a doomed system that God will destroy? Can we bow our heads together, please? Just a few moments, we're going to be singing a wonderful hymn of the faith. And our service will be concluded. But dear friend, I have to take the opportunity right now to ask you that very serious question. Will you choose this day whom you will serve? Perhaps you would say, I have embraced those, those promises. I am a citizen of heaven. I, I believe I'm a stranger and pilgrim in this world. 
then my friend, why have you gone back to some of the old lust of the world and tried to entertain yourself with those lusts? Come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins. Perhaps today you're hearing this message and this is all new to you. And, and you're thinking, wow, I've never, I've never even heard of anything like this before. Dear friend, that is exactly the way that the Lord uses his word to awaken someone. Perhaps this very moment the Lord is awakening you. Why not cry out to the Lord this very moment and ask him to save you? Tell him that you're a sinner. Tell him I'm just a citizen of this world system. And ask him to transfer you into the kingdom of his dear son. He will. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Heavenly Father, I praise you so much for this glorious passage which lays it all out for us. Lord, we can see it here. I'm asking today for the citizens of heaven among us that they would live for the heavenly Jerusalem. They would live for the book of remembrance that the Lord is compiling. They would live for the judgment seat. They would live for the beam. Lord, help them to live for you. And for those who have never trusted you, dear Heavenly Father, I'm asking that by your spirit you would convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and that they would be gloriously transferred from this city of this world to the city of God, out of the kingdom of darkness into the light. Lord, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He has shined in our hearts. Would you shine in hearts this day and awaken them to righteousness? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.